0: Hey, everybody. It's us, Josh and Chuck, and we want you to know we are coming somewhere near you, we're sure, if you live in North America this year.
1: That's right. We're going on tour, and uh, why don't we just rattle through these dates? Okay. Uh, Toronto, August 8th at the Danforth Music Hall. Chicago, August 9th, the next day at Harris Theater. Then we are taking some time off to recover after that two-day grind. <laughs> we're hitting Vancouver. The Vogue Theater, September 26th, followed by...
0: Minneapolis. We're going to be at the Pantages Theater again on September 27th. That is correct. Yep, and then Austin Chuck on October 10th at the Paramount Theater.
1: Yes, and very special show in Lawrence, Kansas, at Liberty Hall on October 11th.
0: Yep, and then we're going to do a three-night stand October 22nd, 23rd, and 24th at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York, and then Chuck, take it home.
1: Uh, Well, take it home literally, because we are finishing up November 4th right here in Atlanta at the Buckhead Theater. And this is a very special benefit show. Uh, And all the proceeds will be going to Lifeline Animal Project of Atlanta and the National Down Syndrome Society.
0: Yep. And for more information and to buy tickets, just go to SYSKLive.com.
1: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant, guest producer Noel. Jerry's Jerry's been out a lot lately, Chuck. Have you noticed? Uh, no. No, nah, I
1: haven't really <laughs> Of course. Jerry's got big life things going on. She does. Buying and selling houses. She's like a real estate mogul. Mm-hmm. Visiting the mall. Doing all <laughs> sorts of stuff. Uh, we're just... Couple of deep thinkers hanging out on the stoa.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Specifically,
0: uh, what is it? The stoa. Uh, did you practice the word, this pronunciation at all?
1: I, I tried to pronounce a lot of this. Um, but you know, ancient Greek, uh, you know, the phrase, it's all Greek to me. <laughs> yeah. And it comes from not being able to pronounce these things. It's quite literal. Uh, the, the stoa poikili. I think that's probably pretty close, man. So can I start this with a couple of quick thoughts? Sure. First of all, uh, I took a, I took four different philosophy quizzes before we recorded. Like, like what kind
0: of philosophy do you
1: subscribe to type quiz? Yeah, you know, the ones that are super accurate. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> they can figure that out in 8 to 15 questions. Sure, and then you can move on and find out what Muppet you are. <laughs> <laughs> so here's here's my results here. Uh, for the first one, I was Epicurean. Okay. Uh, the second one, existentialism. All right. Uh, third one, atheist existentialist. Oh. Huh. And the fourth, uh, Nietzsche slash Stoic. Nietzsche was a huge critic of Stoicism. I'm surprised they put those two together. Well, that that is Chuck, though. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, you're you're a contradiction <laughs> in terms. You're yin and yang. Well, I am, and the reason why I took these is because when I was uh, doing the research on Stoicism, um, I found me, I found myself a lot of times going, "Yep, yep, totally," and then a lot of times going, "No, that's really not me." Same here, same here, and I think, um. The, even the
0: Stoics from back in the day realized that there were very few, very, very few actual, what they called sages walking around, Stoic sages who really f- fulfilled every aspect of this to a T. Yeah. And, and I think that, I think one of the reasons why Stoicism today is, is making a comeback and it's so appealing is because, well, there's two reasons. One, more than, um, Kind of a navel-gazing type philosophy where you're trying to figure out the nature of existence or something like that. It's more a blueprint for existing day to day in a in a useful, happy way. Sure. And then, secondly, um, it's uh, it, you can kind of pick and choose. It's almost like a buffet. You can pick and choose what aspects of it you want to adopt or use and no, you know, Greek ghost is going to come along and spear (laughs) you in
1: the face. With the trident. Right. Uh, Poseidon punch. Uh, yeah. And I think that's, I mean, first of all, the age of reason fascinates me to no end. Mm -hmm. Um, and second, I've kind of wanted to cover some of the, the great philosophies of all time this sounds like a good start well it is but it's just kind of daunting because people spend like that's their life's work you know and and to, for us to try and summarize any of them in 30 to 45 minutes is kind of like you, you know i don't know what philosophy you would liken that to foolishism <laughs> yeah dun duncism <laughs> uh but I that's what then. we do you know
0: well let's how about this uh, if this one goes well maybe we'll take it as a sign that we can tackle some other ones but you're absolutely right like even the even just like say the internet encyclopedia of philosophy, which is meant, you know, it's, it's, it's sharp and it's detailed and it's exhaustive, but it's also clearly meant for lay people interested in philosophy, right? It's just, just this, just stoicism is so involved that it's not possible for us to like really capture all of it, even get in an overview, you know? Um. We're giving it, just hitting the highlights. We can't possibly hit all the highlights. There's just too much to it. And that's just stoicism. I still say it's worth talking about though, just because it's so interesting.
1: So if I get up in the middle, you're going to pull me back. I'll just keep going. (laughs) Well, I like the urban dictionary uh, definition. (laughs) Yeah. Um, stoic is someone who does not give a beep about the stupid things in this world that most people care so much about. Stoics do have emotions, but only for the things in this world that really matter. They are the most real people alive. Mm -hmm. And then in their little example is a group of kids sitting by the porch. Stoic walks by. One kid says something very mean. Hey, you're a blankety blank, and you blank blank. And the Stoic says, good for you, and keeps going. Right. So part of me really, like, I hear that, and I'm like, man, I am so that person on so many levels But then sometimes I'm totally not. And I think what the difference is or what matters is, well, it depends on if they say something that matters to you. Um, Or if if something does matter to you, like I might get really riled up about some stuff. Right. Well, that would make you not stoic. That doesn't rile anyone else up. But I also, some things that really make other people irate, I'm just like, man, can't change it. It is what it is. Uh, and I only can get upset about the things I can change.
0: Yeah. If you could apply that to everything, you'd be pretty, pretty high up there in the stoic, um, pantheon. <laughs> I'd be a stoic, uh,
1: five star general.
0: Pretty much F- five finger punch guy.
1: <laughs> All right. So we beat around the bush. I mean, that was a pretty good definition, actually, even though it was from the Urban Dictionary. But, um.
0: We should say we picked that one up from an Aeon article, Why Stoicism is One of the Best Mind Hacks Ever Devised. Yeah, it was a good one. By Larry Wallace. Yeah. You did a good job kind of giving an overview of the whole thing. I think Larry Wallace is one of the great
1: modern Stoicists. Maybe. There's plenty <laughs> of them running around these days. Yeah, but we're, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll go back in time and study the uh, beginnings of Stoicism because we're talking about like you hear the word stoic today, right? And it means it, it was taken from this, but it, it's kind of someone like sort of a grim face stoic doesn't say much, mm-hmm. um, and that that's not what stoicism. And they say in our article several times with a capital S, really is all about. Right, yeah. To
0: these days, people typically, or I should say, these days, up to about three years ago, people thought of stoics as. Somebody who could watch their dog get hit by a car and, you know, their reaction was to raise their chin a little higher up in the air, you know, like just grin and bear it. Um, as Larry put it, where I'm on a first name basis with Larry Wallace, (laughs) uh, uh, that it's a philosophy of grim endurance, tolerating rather than transcending life's agonies and adversities, just kind of trudging through, um, just taking hit after hit from life as it deals them to you right that, yeah. that was the idea of stoicism you can kind of like it's not like that's just radically unlike actual stoicism, but it, it's an outsider's interpretation of what the Stoics are actually doing, what's actually going on, the purpose of the whole thing. that outsider's view that doesn't really fully understand it became the popular view until recently until it started to kind of gain some traction lately
1: yeah and you know throughout the years Sto- stoicism has in- informed some religions uh these days there are a lot of atheists that are stoics um but i like how our article says it uh it's above all it teaches the value of emotional control in living one's life fully yeah so here's the basis of it the basis of it is if you can um
0: Detach yourself from emotional responses to things. Then something that comes along, whether good or bad, is not going to get your goat. Right? Stoicism is all about protecting your goat <laughs> and not letting anything get it. And yeah. the way that the way that they do that is by saying there are very few things that I can control in life, uh-huh. and everything that I can't control, I'm not going to get up riled up over. You know, lose my job. Oh, well, it happens. It doesn't mean I'm any less of a person. I just need to go out and get another job. Dog gets hit by a car. Well, that's really awful because I really like that dog, but I'll just go get another dog, or maybe I'll just learn to live without the dog. Maybe I was becoming too attached to the dog. Things like that. That's stoicism. But the whole point of it is it's not just to get your goat It's or to protect your goat from being gotten. It's about... um living a moral life where you're a very good human being. Uh-huh. And the idea is that the only way to really do that is through things like rationalism and um, investigating the universe and being understanding of knowledge and then um, pursuing ethics, specific ethics. Um, and the, they, they figured out the best way to do that is dispassionately.
1: Yeah, I think my bumper sticker would say, uh, on board colon part time stoicist, full time dreamer. <laughs> okay, that is that is a specific yeah right bumper sticker. I used to have a lot of bumper stickers in high school, and now I loathe them so much. Really, what did you have like? Oh, I had an old Volkswagen Beetle, and uh, that was my family actually bought brand new in 1968, and was passed down from oh, kid wow. to kid to kid. And it's an uh, air lube. It was. It was very cool, I thought, at the time. Well, it is cool. I love those old Beatles. But I just went through one of those phases where I was like, you know, here's a Native American f- saying, and here's something about Mother Nature, and this Bob Marley had this to say. and Oh. Just, yeah, I was wow. one of those. And now I see <laughs> those cars with all the things, and I'm just like, shut up. Nobody <laughs> cares. <laughs> it's funny.
0: Maybe I'm it's an too.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean... uh
0: did you have
1: a 311 sticker? No, this was pre-311, actually. Okay, gotcha. So did your mom come out and be like, what'd you
0: do to the family heirloom? No. You put stickers all over
1: it. <laughs> no, it's funny. That that car had a, uh, the rear floorboard was missing on one side. My dad had a car like that, a Malibu. So you could, like, see the street. Uh-huh. I <laughs> had and a piece of that- wood there.
0: Now that I look back, oh, he didn't even have a piece of wood. <laughs> now that I look back, I'm like, that was extraordinarily irresponsible to be driving around with kids in the back seat yeah. with the with the street visible.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that your dad was just like, "Watch your feet, kids." <laughs> yeah, easy does it. Uh All right, so let You want to go back and talk about the history a little bit? No, I want to keep beating around the bush. <laughs> all right, let's get in the way back machine, and okay. we need to really juice it up. Mm-hmm uh because we're going way back got some kerosene
0: got some banana peels uh-huh. and got some airplane glue but that's just
1: for us <laughs> that's right cuz it's a long ride yeah uh ancient Greece is where we're headed uh to the time of the great philosophers and um like we said earlier sitting here on the stoa that was a joke but it wasn't and you 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 know you said stoa uh, Are you going to try it again? The stoa poikili. Yes, or painted porch is what it means. And that was a public space in Athens, Greece. It was like a portico. Yeah, where people would hang out and talk and chew the fat. And that's what I love about this time was people would just, they were just alive with ideas, these philosophical ideas of trying to figure it all out.
0: Yeah, but don't you think like every once in a you just be like, "Oh, everybody, shut up! And I got just something. live.
1: <laughs> I gotta do something useful." Yeah, Plant just stop field.
0: talking. Yeah, no, but I I, I agree with you. Overall, it's, it it was a pretty thrilling time. Did you take philosophy in college at all? No, no, I didn't. Um, I really did not. I don't think I took a single philosophy class now that I think about it, not even a survey.
1: I, I took the one kind of general class. I guess it was the one on one and I actually made an A, which mm. I didn't make a ton of A's in college. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time, kind of the same thing. About half the class, I was like, man, this is so fascinating. And then the other half, I was just like, oh man, what a waste of time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like do something useful. Go like volunteer for a charity. Go make something out of wood. Anything. <laughs> All right. So back to the stoa. We're, we're on this painted porch, this portico, as it right. were. Yeah. People are everywhere running their mouths about what they think is important. Uh, and then this dude wanders up, a Zeno of Sidium. Yeah. Who'd recently been shipwrecked. And there were other Zenos, not to be confused. I know that is confusing. There should be one Zeno. <laughs> there can be in all one. of in all of history. <laughs> there were Zenos of other things. But this is Zeno of Sidium. And you're right. He was shipwrecked and he was wandering around uh after a trip from Cyprus. Did you say we're in Athens? Oh, yeah. Not Georgia. No. Although we did our fair share of sitting around on porches talking nonsense there sure. as well. But that's a porch porch. <laughs> yeah. Not a Greek porch. Uh And so Zeno took a little bit of uh insight from the cynics. And then eventually said, you know what? I could my kind of forming my own thoughts here. And, uh, I think everyone else is doing it. I have my own philosophy. Yeah. And it's called stoicism.
0: Yeah. Named after later, later. I don't think he called it that. I'm not sure. He probably called it Xenoism. They're like, yeah, nah, right. that sucks. We're going to call <laughs> it stoicism after the porch. Yeah. But this is, I mean, like the, the stoicism very quickly became one of the big, uh, philosophies at the time. Oh yeah. And it rivaled some of the philosophies that it grew out of, like Socratic philosophy and, like you said, Cynicism, the Cynics. Sure. And actually, if you look at Stoicism, it's kind of a compromise between um Socrates or Socrates as Bill and Teg call them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> philosophy, which was that To lead a good life, and this was the point of all of the philosophies at this time during this age of reason, was achieving what was called eudaimonia. And eudaimonia is a life worth living. It's thriving. It's flourishing. It's being happy, like real happiness, right? That was the pursuit of all of these different ideas that were floating around at the time was how to achieve that. Socrates had the idea that you achieve that through, like, 12 cardinal virtues. And some of them were things you could cultivate <laughs> in yourself, like courage, a sense of justice, that kind of stuff. But then there are other ones, too, that had, like, everything to do with luck, like being good-looking was one of them, right? Yeah. If you weren't good-looking, if you were ugly, sorry, buddy, you could never achieve eudaimonia, right? Yeah. On the other end of the spectrum were the cynics. And the cynics believed that earthly trappings like wealth and wealth and fame, and glory, uh, anything like that, was the path to ruin, and that the true path to eudaimonia was living simply and living in poverty. And so Zeno comes along and hears all these, and as he's formulating his own ideas, he's like, Socrates makes some sense over here, and so do the cynics a little bit, but I'm going to put them together, and that's where Stoicism came from. It was a compromise between the two, where you live a life of of pursuing eudaimonia through these virtues, four virtues. Um, I think uh, there's justice, courage, wisdom, and then temperance, right? So yeah. you're practicing those four virtues. So that, that's kind of a nod to Socrates. Um And you don't have to live in poverty. You can be wealthy because if Stoicism is anything, it's – wealthy people who got into philosophy um
1: that weren't quite sure how to feel about being wealthy yeah, to say to kind of come to the point that like having money's not a bad thing
0: right right <laughs> and so Necessarily. what they, what they came up with was um sure you can be wealthy uh, and that's okay you can prefer to be wealthy, but you just can't be attached to it. You can't desire to be wealthy because you can't control being wealthy. And if you pursue being wealthy, you're pursuing something beyond your control. So if you just happen to be wealthy, that's great. You can be happy with it, but also be prepared to lose it at any given time. And that's a a big part of stoicism.
1: Yeah, I think it's so funny, though, to think about like thousands of years ago in ancient Greece, like they – Spent so much time thinking about living this, all these schools of thought of living this life. So like, uh, putting so much thought into living to life to its fullest and all the different ways that they defined it. And eventually, like over the years, like as recently as like the generation of our parents and grandparents in the United States, like the philosophy of life was like, you just go to work and you work hard. Right. Until you die, and that's the only thing that matters. Exactly. <laughs> like all that other stuff is garbage.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the reasons why Stoicism is is becoming appealing again. Is this idea that like work <laughs> seems to be kind of going through a weird transformation, doesn't it? Yeah. Like it's not like that anymore. Like that 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 ethic is still around for sure. But like, yeah, how many people do you know work from home? Like almost entirely. Well, a lot. A lot and that's fairly new. So I wonder if like this changing work dynamic is leading to this resurgence in stoicism that you can find happiness through
1: other stuff. I mean, I part wonder. of me thinks this is all like super worthwhile and part of me thinks and it's sort of indulgent to yeah, and, and a bit, like you said, navel gazy and like put just start practicing good things instead of sitting around thinking about the best way to live life. Well, we'll talk about criticisms
0: of them later on, but I think you (laughs) hit a big one though, Chuck, was the idea that it's self indulgent because it, it demands introspection almost every moment of every day. Yeah. You want to take a break and then get back to it?
1: Yeah, I got to, I got to get my head together. Where's that airplane glue? (laughs) Here you go. All right. Nothing like airplane glue to get your head back on straight. (laughs) Just kidding, of course. Everyone, sure, we're smart guys. We don't do that kind of thing.
0: No, it's pretty tough to be smart and huff model airplane glue.
1: Yeah, it's you're pretty pretty much making a choice between that and being smart. (laughs) That's what they teach you early on. Yeah, like you want to go somewhere in life, you want to huff airplane glue. It's the one thing Nancy Reagan didn't lie about. All right, so uh, Zeno uh, got things going. Um, peace of mind that comes with living a life of virtue in accordance with reason and nature. And then mm-hmm. other dudes got on boards and, of course, got on boards, got on board, and they were all dudes back then because everything was from the man's perspective. Uh, just wanted to point that out. Yeah, because it's changed so dramatically since then. <laughs> but uh, some of the other early Stoicists, uh, Cleanthes, uh, Cato... Cato the younger or elder? Younger, right? Cato the Kalen. <laughs> oh
0: man, I forgot about him. <laughs> I'm not sure which Cato. I think it's the younger. Yeah, we'll find out from two people who email in to let <laughs> us know.
1: Uh Seneca and then a very important stoicist. Uh well, I'm gonna pronounce it ep Epictetus. Uh, epic Epic. Tec- epictectus. <laughs> Epictetus. Epicetus. Sounds, like sounds like a vaccine shot.
0: It does. E p i c t e t u s. It's that C going into a T that's getting you. I yeah, think it's I, just Epictetus or Epictetus. I think Epictetus is what we should go with.
1: I want another C in there. I want it to be Epictetus, but it's not. No, it's not. It's Epictetus.
0: <laughs> All right. So, uh, this... oh, and don't forget Marcus
1: Aurelius, man. Oh well, sure. I mean, he he comes a little bit later. Like he oh, okay. was he was the the ruler of infant uh, Amth- Am- infant. Man, what is my problem today? It's okay, man. <laughs> Everyone knew what you meant. He was the philosopher king. And that was when Stoicism was kind of the, the most popular thing going. Yeah.
0: Yeah, apparently they moved from Athens to Rome, which I didn't realize this. I always had the idea um, that Rome venerated Hellenistic Greece hundreds of years after basically the Greek civilization had had just kind of... You know, gone into a bit of a twilight or had gone out of its heyday. Right. No, there was total cross pollination. Sure. Including some of these early Stoics who traveled from Athens to Rome and basically with, with that move transferred the seed of philosophy from Athens to Rome, from Greek to Rome, to, um, to Rome, from Greece to Rome. I didn't realize that they were, they were actually like cross pollinating one another at the time.
1: Yeah. Did you know that? Uh, I think I recalled that from deep in my, college memory banks nice uh so Tetus man um he had a big role in the stoic movement uh he was a s- former slave um which kind of makes sense in form- in terms of stoicism he almost in,
0: almost single-handedly gives um credence to uh stoicism Because so many other Stoics were extraordinarily wealthy, powerful men that it's like, yeah, it's pretty easy for you to go through life saying, you know, it's uh, just, just take what life gives you. If life is giving you nothing but gold bullion all the time, right? (laughs) This guy was born a slave, crippled in the knee for life and, and became a Stoic, one of the great
1: Stoic thinkers and just through his life, proved that Stoicism can work. Yeah, and he wrote uh, a handbook at the time. was called an Enchiridion, and he wrote the Enchiridion of Epictetus. Enchiridion literally
0: means handbook. It means ready at hand.
1: So uh, it was a very famous handbook, and he attributed, uh, I mean, the first line of it was some things are in our control and others not. Right. And that kind of sums it all up. Like he could have said the end. But he decided to dive a little deeper.
0: I agree with you. I think our brand of stoicism has about the same contours. Cause that, that, that right there, that's all, that's everything you need to know right there. Is some things you can control, most things you can't control. There you go. Like don't Do, get too like, high, too low. Right. Don't get too mad about something. Well, ultimately, I think that's what it boils down to. I don't really find much of a problem when people are overjoyed. I don't think that's an issue. And technically with stoicism, that is a that's a problem. You should not become overjoyed. Experiencing joy is fine. Sure. But but just being like overcome with happiness or joy or um grief or whatever it is, you you're 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 violating one of those four cardinal virtues, temperance, which is just being tempered and even
1: keeled. Right.
0: So, But I think if you're saying um, don't get upset about something that's out of your control, don't blame others, don't try to control other people, just know that whatever comes, you can handle it, there you go. That's all you need to know for me.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I mean, how many times have you heard me say it is what it is, which is an annoying yeah. thing to hear and say? But it's pretty stoic. Well, it is, but it's also, in my case, like it is what it is until it isn't. <laughs> it just matters if I'm personally riled up about Something, you know?
0: Yeah, but I think, again though, if like, there's probably some people who, list, who, who, um, subscribe to at least modern stoicism listening to this, and I would guess that they would say, that's because Stoicism is basically meant to apply to every day of your life. Like, no Stoics are really expected to become sages in their lifetimes. Right. That it's something you just do every single day is try to not get riled up. But, of course, you're something's going to come along and get you riled up. That's just human nature. Stoicism is trying to put a, a bridle on that human nature.
1: Yeah, well, and this is insider stuff. Uh, I think you and I complement each other because we rarely get – worked up about the same thing just voter suppression (laughs) well no it happens here and there but just in our personal lives and and everything to do with work like Mm -hmm. oftentimes i've noticed like something that'll rile me up you're calming me down Mm -hmm. and the other way around and yeah i mean i think that's one reason we've lasted so long like if two people were so similar that they're constantly worked up about the same stuff yeah. You, no one, you know, you're just going to be working each other up and no one's going to be there to say, hey, man, it is what it is. Yeah, man. <laughs> hey, mellow out. Here's the Bob Marley bumper sticker. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so should we talk a little bit about the areas of study? Yeah. All right. Well, there are three main ones and stoicism. Uh, and this is all, you know, to deal with introspection, which is kind of like all philosophies. Um, physics is the first thing and it's not, physics like you think of uh, that you hate studying in high school.
0: Well, it falls under an, a larger umbrella term, I guess.
1: Yeah, they're talking about the the natural world, the natural universe, and also what lies beyond it. And, and when they say the natural world, they're talking about everything, um, God, the divine, uh, nature, everything that we know and things that we don't know.
0: Yeah, everything we would view as science or, like you said, nature. Um, yeah, all that stuff, that's physics and all of it. The one of the things the Stoics, I think if they weren't the first to come up with it, they definitely popularized it was the idea that all of this was interconnected. Yeah. It, which is pretty, I mean, you take it for granted today. Like everybody thinks that everything's interconnected these days, you yeah. know, but, um, I, it's to be among the first to kind of point that out or suggest that's pretty pretty significant contribution to Western thought.
1: Yeah, I imagine that was a pretty deep thing when it first started hitting people. Yeah, you know, can you just see George <laughs> Carlin being like,
0: "Oh, you just blew my mind."
1: Uh oh, because he was Socrates.
0: Hmm. Man, wait, no, he wasn't Socrates. He was um. No, he was the a- the guide, their spirit yeah, animal. Yeah, yeah. What was his
1: name? I'm gonna I get chilled on
0: this. We'll just edit this part out. I didn't know
1: I had to brush up on my Bill and Ted. I didn't either. I surprised myself. You, you should have seen my face. You know, they kept, uh, they kept talking about remakes, like as recently as a couple of years ago, I think, or not remakes, but, uh, sequels. With the originals? Oh yeah. Like Keanu Reeves Dude. is like, man, I love those movies. I'd love to go make another one. Did you see what, what is, um, so was Keanu Reeves Bill or Ted? Ah, uh,
0: why are we even doing this to ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I want to say he was Ted. So the guy who played the other guy, yeah, Alex Winter. Oh, jeez, Chuck! Wow. wow, nice job. So, Alex Winter was in um, uh, what was the Charles Bronson vehicle? Like his most fate Death Wish, Death Wish three. Deathwish 3 was what he was in, which was when Golan Globus got their hands on it and turned it into like a schlock violent, like, um, almost post apocalyptic movie. Yeah. Um, and he's great in it, but he's also in, um, a, a documentary on Golan Globus. I can't remember what the name of the. Name of the, um, documentaries, but it's just about how bad the movies they made were and how, how gleefully these guys made them. But, um, he's interviewed in it. That guy hasn't aged a day.
1: No. He looks exactly Bill. Okay. So he's Bill. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so we got that settled. (laughs) Physics was done. What's next? Uh, logic, which, uh, they wanted to include, um, social sciences, psychology, sociology, history which I, I kind of like. I'm down with that as far as the philosophies go. They wanted to include all this stuff, uh, but collectively they kind of called this all reason. And right. it was a very big deal uh to Stoicism, perhaps the biggest deal.
0: Right, and they also were engaged in epistemology, which is theories of what knowledge is, how we gain knowledge, what's true, what's belief, what's false, how do we differentiate between these things. And they spent a lot of time investigating this and putting it all under... Logic, because it was through logic that you could investigate physics, which included investigating God and the nature of the universe and stuff like that. And then through all that, that investigation, that introspection, that navel gazing, um, you were ultimately figuring out how to best pursue and best live out the third part, which was the ethics of the whole thing.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned the, the four great virtues earlier, courage, justice, wisdom and temperance. And, um, the whole idea here is, uh, it's, it's not like you want to block out the bad and only embrace the good. You like, you want to consider both the good and the bad, but just don't let it, any of it get in the way of anything that you're trying to pursue in your life.
0: Right. Pretty simple.
1: Yeah. And the whole good, bad thing. Where did you find this, this thing on ethics? Was that the, that was the internet encyclopedia
0: of philosophy from their, from their, uh, entry on it. Yeah. It's it pretty, pretty good. The whole thing it was, dude, you should have seen how in depth they go though, but I thought this one was a good snippet.
1: Well, sure. Yeah. They dive pretty deep, but I thought this was a pretty good little summation there. You know, they're talking about, um, Like you said, like money isn't just not good or aka bad. Uh, things like this, they called indifference Mm -hmm. as in, uh, I-N-D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-T-S. Right. Not indifference. And it's like not good or bad. It could be either one. Um, it's really kind of all about not letting something like that get in the way of your pursuit.
0: Right. So, and, and again, it, it went back to wealth, right? And this, um, this person in the encyclopedia of uh, philosophy points out that like money definitely being wealthy usually is is helpful or beneficial to the individual. <laughs> sure. But it can also not be beneficial where say you have a big heroin problem. Well, the more money you get, the more money you're going to spend on heroin. So in that case, being wealthy is detrimental to you, not beneficial. Right. And for something to be a good, it has to be good under all circumstances. And to a stoic, only, there's only four things that are good under all circumstances, which are those four cardinal virtues. Right. Everything else, like you said, is an indifferent, and it can either be preferred or dispreferred. Like wealth typically would fall under being a preferred indifferent, whereas say disease, having chronic disease, would be a dis- dispreferred dis well, <laughs> Wow. A dispreferred
1: indifferent. Man, that's tough, though.
0: It is. Um, but the the point is, is whether it's fabulous wealth or diabetes, they should affect you about the same. Or you might want one, you might not want to have one, but if you have either one, you can live with it. And that brings up a huge, huge component of stoicism that's really been blown up and exploded in the 21st century, which is you <laughs> should take... Adversity and turn it into a, an opportunity for growth. That is a huge yes. aspect of Stoicism that's, that's really being practiced and espoused
1: these days. Yeah. I'm down with that. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I like being able to take from all these philosophies and different religions to form your sort of, uh, pathway through life, you know? Sure. Like when I hear sometimes I w- I've started to read about Buddhism, and, and the whole thing with Buddhism of, like, every day you start anew and you have a new chance, like, that really appeals to me, too. Right. What I don't like is uh when either religions or philosophies say, like, no, like, this is the only way and everything else is BS. Sure. You know? Yeah. That just, that's a harsh buzzkill.
0: <laughs> it really is. Not only is it BS, but I'm going to kill you for thinking otherwise. Yeah. So Seneca, who was one of the great thinkers uh, of Stoicism, he was an advisor to Nero, and we'll talk about him as criticism of Stoicism later on. But he had a um, very famous quote where he says, You are unfortunate in my judgment, for you have never been unfortunate. You have passed through life with no antagonist to face you. Yeah. No one will know what you are capable of, not even yourself. And that kind of shapes the that the basis of that idea that no matter what life throws at you, you take it and you say, I'm going to become a better person from this. Like, oh, this happened. Well, that's great because that means that I can learn to be better at this. So my dog just got hit by a car. I'm going to practice um, fortitude and make it through this really hard time and become a stronger person on the other side. Yeah, he may as well have said, you, comma, trust fund kid, comma. Sure. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and I mean, that, that, that makes a, people turn that on Seneca as well, but a lot of modern Stoics come to his defense as like, no, that guy had a harder life than you would think.
1: Should we take another break? Yeah. All right, let's do it. And we'll talk about Seneca and Cicero and all other kinds of weird names.
0: So, Chuck, you were saying you were talking about um,
1: religion. Yeah.
0: Stoicism apparently informed Christianity in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, and Buddhism in some ways. Yeah, yet atheists uh, embrace it. It's kind of yeah, weird that these way. These days,
0: but I mean, the early Stoics were definitely—they definitely believed in uh, a divine intervention. It was kind of the basis of the whole thing that this is God's will, so why why try to control it? Who are you to try to control it? Just roll with the punches.
1: Yeah, that's a big, when when I was taking all those philosophy quizzes, they're all a little bit different, but you saw a through line through a lot of these questions, and uh the free will one was in every single one of them. Yeah. Like, how do you feel about free will? And, it, and they had different ways of asking it, but you know that, that free will yeah. what do you think if, exactly if you want to find out which philosophy that you jibe with uh you have to answer the free will question free will question
0: yeah hey that's easier to say than just dispre- preferred indifferent nice work so um so one of the big points especially today for practicing stoicism is looking at adversity as a gro- uh, opportunity for growth
1: right right that's just a good Tool in life, I think.
0: Another one, and this one, I really—this is where I big time diverge from stoicism as like a part of a daily practice—is something called negative visualization.
1: Yeah, like uh, try and try and imagine the worst case scenario constantly. Yeah, I'm not into that at all.
0: No. So say you're, say you're at like your child's birthday party, right? Uh And you are not you specifically. This is you. um, Sure. uh, Just a general person and you're having just the most intense moment of, of joy and appreciation for your child. According to Stoics, you should follow that up with a thought about how at your child's next doctor's appointment, your child could be diagnosed with terminal leukemia. Yeah. That that is what you should be doing basically all the time. Negative visualization, and the idea is it's twofold. One, you're preventing yourself from becoming overjoyed at that moment. Right. Don't don't do that. Yeah, yeah. And then secondly, you're you're exploring how you will feel if your kid does get diagnosed with something horrible or something bad happens, and that when it actually happens, you'll say that, that's not so bad. I'm already used to it, or you'll be able to confront it through your imagination and say, this is what I'm f- afraid of. That's not that bad. But I mean, that's a really extreme, horrific example. Yeah. But, but it is ultimately, it's definitely in step with Sto- stoicism that you should be visualizing the worst case scenario all the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's one of the reasons stoicism has such a downer reputation, uh, such that Cicero, uh, wrote uh, a stoic rouse enthusiasm he is much more likely to extinguish any enthusiasm the student may have to begin with burn yeah it was a pretty good burn um and you know i get that like who would if you if that was one of the first things you learned if you started to poke around with stoicism uh, 99% of people would probably be like man i don't want I don't, to i don't like the sounds of that yeah I like the you're not having to control everything aspect, but the thinking about
0: nothing but negative thoughts all the time. That, yeah. You know, and I, I get the point of it. I just,
1: it doesn't, it doesn't appeal to me. No, I mean, you shouldn't be Pollyanna either. Um,
0: well, no, it's, it's in direct contradiction to the idea of the power of positive thinking, right? Which is Stoics like, you fool. What are you doing? All you're doing is setting yourself up for nothing but letdowns when that doesn't actually come true.
1: Well, but I also agree with that to a certain degree. You know, like the whole, like just, you can conjure it up just by thinking positively. I think that's on the opposite side, equally, uh, BS. <laughs> sure. Sure. I think so too. I'm kind of right down the middle, I guess, when it comes to that stuff.
0: I and mean, I think most people are, but I think that's what's fascinating about this kind of thing is it's like, whoa, there's are some people actually are to these, these degrees, these extremes. It's interesting to me.
1: Well, yeah. And the other th- interesting thing is we, you know, you're talking about Christianity and then it's weird how stoicism on one hand, like atheists, like I can totally see how they'd be down with stoicism, but also the whole notion that, uh, some believers in God and some Christians like give it all up to God because only God can control anything. So, uh, all we're going to do is, is pray about it. And that's popular among stoics as well. Right. So it's just interesting that it has such a wide range as far as from atheism to like the, you know, serious, serious, give it up to God Christianity.
0: Right. Yeah. No, it definitely. Yeah. It it almost it's kind of like it's that buffet thing again where people can come along and take what they want from it. And it it becomes part of their own philosophy or their own religion or whatever. Um, Let's talk about some of the ways that that is. Been used over the years, Stoicism, right? Okay. So there have been a lot of people who have followed S- Stoic thought. Like Adam Smith, apparently, um, was very much informed by Stoicism when he wrote *The Wealth of Nations*, because one of the big, big, big aspects of it was individual liberty. One, one cool thing about the early Stoics was that everybody's equal. Yeah. Right. Doesn't matter whether you're man, woman, uh, gay, straight. Uh, black, white, whatever. Everyone is equal. And this was at a time when slavery was rampant, right? Yeah. Um, so that was a big, a big, that's a big aspect to, um, or that's a big aspect of the wealth of nations is anybody can come along and, and become a capitalist. You just have to compete, right? Um, another place that it popped up kind of famously was in cognitive behavioral therapy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Which initially when I saw that, I was like, huh, that kind of surprised me. But then it all made sense. Right. Like exposure to something bad can help you get over it is kind of like that uh, conjuring up the worst possible. It's almost numbing yourself to the worst possible thing. If you think about that yeah. uh, worst case scenario thing all the time, it's almost a way of preparing for that.
0: Yeah. and And it's. Rooted specifically the, one of the founders of CBT, Albert Ellis, um, was an adherent of, um, of Stoicism as a younger man. And the, the, what's known as the cognitive model of emotion, which is the basis of cognitive behavioral therapy is based on Epictetus's, um, maxim that people are disturbed not by things, but by their view of things. And and that's part of that whole stoic philosophy, which is nothing is good or bad. There's only good in the four virtues. Everything else is how you view it. Yeah. Whether it's losing your job or winning the lottery, those aren't those things aren't inherently good or bad. It's you, the person experiencing that, who bestows good or bad on them. Yeah. And so why label things? Sure.
1: I'm down with that. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> Did you hear about, uh, Admiral Stockdale? Yeah, I remember that name, uh, for sure when he came out with his, uh, with his book, uh, Courage Under Fire, colon, testing Epictetus' doctrines in a laboratory of human behavior in 1993. Mm-hmm. He was a famous, um, prisoner of war, uh, in Vietnam for seven years, endured some of the worst of the worst that you can imagine in war. And what got him through, uh, was, Certainly not Christianity, because he thought that's nothing but false hope.
0: Well, uh, not not only that, he shared the POW camp with people who you, who clung to that and, and did not make it. Yeah, so he mentally. saw it like right up front. Right.
1: So what got him through was his stoic beliefs.
0: Yeah, he was a huge, big-time adherent of Epictetus. Um, he'd studied him in college. Apparently, he'd read everything that Epictetus had written or said that had been written down and attributed to Epictetus twice from two different uh, translators. So this guy knew his Epictetus, and he said, Well, I'm a prisoner of war in Vietnam. I've got some broken bones. I'm starving. I'm being mistreated. I'll be here for seven years. What a perfect opportunity to put Epictetus' teachings to the (laughs) test in a real-life laboratory experiment. And he said... Epictetus passed with flying colors was was Stockdale's final report on it.
1: Yeah, he said, uh, if Epictetus' lecture room was a hospital, my prison was a laboratory, a laboratory of human behavior, I chose to test his postulates against the demanding real-life challenges of my laboratory. Mm-hmm. So, man, talk about a strong will, like, to be faced <laughs> with that and be like, well, hey, this is a great chance to, to work on my philosophy of life.
0: Exactly. What else am I going to do? But that that follows... In and of itself, on the whole, too, sure. of um, turning adversity into a room for growth as well.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. Stronger than me. Let's just say that. So, um, you want to talk about some criticisms of Stoicism? Well, Cicero certainly thought it was a big downer.
0: Yeah. Um, he said, well, you already said what he said, right? Yeah. It basically extinguishes enthusiasm in students. Not a good thing, right? and then yes. over over the years, the fact that some of the great stoic thinkers of all time have been super wealthy and powerful Seneca Marcus Aurelius was the emperor of Rome. He basically ran the free world well I don't know if the free world's right the Western world for <laughs> almost twenty years yeah and and when you sit there and yeah again, if you say, yes, you can turn anything into any adversity into an opportunity. If, if you're super wealthy, you don't have to worry about where your food's going to come from. Like, yes, of course you can be a Stoic. And then Epictetus came along and, and like we said, kind of erased all of that to an extent for sure. But it is still kind of criticized as like a, a wealthy person's philosophy. And it kind of smacks of that a little bit today, too, Chuck, with its huge um, resurgence in Silicon Valley.
1: Oh, uh, is
0: that happening? Oh, yeah. Most, most of the Stoic revival is taking place there. That's where its cradle is right now.
1: Oh, well, our own article has a couple of good points to talk about it, um, uh, not being as appealing because it, it lacks the mystique of uh, Eastern practice. Uh, and then they uh, also said this is also regarded as a philosophy of merely breaking even while remaining determinedly impassive. Yes.
0: I don't know if that's entirely fair, but it's a, it's, it kind of catches it a little bit.
1: Well, yeah, because the, the very next sentence is this attitude ignores the promise proffered by stoicism of lasting transcendence. And that one article that you sent talked about the power of indifference. Right. Which I thought was interesting. It's not about just like not caring about anything. It's about caring about only the right things that you have the power to change.
0: Yeah. And also though I also see. That even keel aspect being indifferent, the power of it. I mean, think about how much time whenever you, you are like super happy about something going right or super upset about something going wrong, you're you, ultimately you're being distracted from keeping on, keeping on. Oh yeah. And then you go back to eventually get back to that middle again, which is the baseline anyway. And so I guess what stoics are doing is, staying on that that baseline and not being distracted so they can get further along faster or at a more steady pace.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely uh, something that's really frustrating in life, which is when you look back and say, man, I've spent two days stressed and worried about something that I have no control over. Right. And what a waste of time that was when I could have done X, Y, and Z.
0: One of the big questions I have, it's not necessarily a criticism, I guess it depends on what the answer would be, but my, one, my big question for Stoicism, since it's so, um, it places so much emphasis on the individual and self-exploration and introspection, how would a Stoic suggest enacting massive social change where something, some ill is happening to some large group of people... But nothing's going to change unless you go out of your own personal sphere and work to make others change. Right. How do you do that? Or do you just say, well, whatever, it's God's will that these people suffer and be put down by the majority for forever. Or is there some way that that can be addressed through the stoic, you know, philosophy? I'm very curious. So anybody who knows that write in, please.
1: Yeah, maybe that's why it appeals to
0: Silicon Valley. <laughs> right. Well, that's the other thing, too, right? So it also very much smacks when when you hear of it from, like, wealthy people <laughs> espousing it to anybody. Um, it smacks of that whole uh, aspect of Christianity where, hey, medieval peasant, you know how your life <laughs> is terrible and you're going to live to 35 and all you do is work all the time and you give most of the the spoils of your effort to your king? Well, there's such a thing as Christianity and your treasure is in the afterlife. So don't worry about this life. Yeah. Right? It smacks of the same thing where you can keep a population placated and not searching for larger social change by saying, hey, just focus on these four things. And everything else is just it just happens and you don't need to get worked up about it at all. It seems like a, a, a bit of a pacifier, too, Yeah, depending on how you look at it. It's, it's fascinating. Are we done with stoicism? I'm finished with it. Okay. I think that was a good overview. I think so, too. It's a good thought starter. If you uh, want to know more about stoicism, bud, there's a lot more out there than this. Just dive in and see what it means to you. And again, it's a buffet. Take what you like. Leave what you don't want. Leave the curdled pudding behind. Correct. Take the perfectly garliced green beans. Yum. <laughs> If you, uh, what else did I, did I? already say that one part? Oh, since I said green beans, <laughs> it's time for listener mail.
1: Uh, I'm going to call this uh, Beagle Brigade oh, slash yeah. Police Dogs. People love that one. Man, who doesn't love Beatles Beagles on Brigade on Parade?
0: No one. <laughs> Uh, p- even people who get busted with whole pigs still are like, that beagle's adorable.
1: So uh, this dude, uh, Eric Stover, is a sandwicher, meaning he uh, follows our advice, which is to listen to the newest episode as well as whatever from our back catalog he chooses to. Yeah. He's doing it right. Yes, yes. Uh, Hey, guys, I work in the sports and entertainment business in New York, and after 9-11, the use of bomb-sniffing dogs, mostly uh, German Shepherds, became standard operating procedure for all events. A few hours prior to a concert one night, the K-9 units were sweeping all the backstage areas, and one of the bomb dogs hit on an employee locker. If you can imagine, it caused an immediate and serious response. A bomb squad was dispatched, and that portion of the arena was evacuated. Plans were even made to cancel the show. Uh, he doesn't say what show, which I was very curious about. I'm going to say three doors down. Okay. <laughs> Uh after some very tense moments the police officers open the locker. Those guys are super brave. Uh thankfully they didn't find a bomb but did find drugs. An employee must have thought uh must have brought in an extra bump for the show.
0: Oh man, it was definitely 3 doors down.
1: Uh you might be asking yourself um no this wasn't the band's green room. This was an employee.
0: Oh, I know, I know. 3 doors oh. down. 3 doors down's fans are among the most drug-addled of all music
1: fans, <laughs> are they? Sure. I thought that was the Juggalos.
0: No, they put the Juggalos to shame. <laughs> juggalos take time off once in a while, you know what I
1: mean? Yeah, that's true. Uh, you might be asking yourself, how does a bomb dog find drugs? As it turns out, the dog had failed out of drug school <laughs> oh and was God. retrained as a bomb dog. <laughs> poor guy.
0: <laughs> that's hilarious. Isn't it? Poor guy. Which one? The dog or the guy who just happened to run across the failed drug dog <laughs> yeah, I guess everyone still
1: remembered something there are no winners here I no? uh, I guess he didn't completely forget his drug training though and he set off a chain of events that scared the crap out of us uh, the story ends with the employee getting arrested the show went on and the fans none the wiser my guess is the dog was reassigned uh, to uh, crowd control
0: just barking at people
1: Keep back in line uh, thanks for everything you guys do please let me know if you ever need anything in New York City uh, is that a hint? We don't do drugs, Eric. (laughs) Yeah. We're terrified of dogs. Uh, That is Eric Stover in New York, and I guess he's still in the sports and entertainment business. Yeah. He's like, you need some sports? Come see me. I could use some sports.
0: Thanks, Eric. That's a pretty great story. Right? That's right. If you want to get in touch with us like Eric did, you can hang out with me on Twitter. I'm at Josh underscore um underscore Clark. Uh, we also have an official SYSK podcast handle. You can hang out with Chuck on Facebook.com slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant or slash stuff you should know. You can send us an email to stuff podcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, com.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.